all CEOs, me included, we don't actually know what we're doing. They're all sharks, so all you got to do, though, is no shark bait. I don't think we've ever talked about this before. <laughs> we can capture all of the wallet share. First place you start is with the product. That's just the first nut. This is the Capital Stack. Hey, everybody, this is David Paul, the host of the Capital Stack podcast, where I talk to founders, operators, and investors about all things value creation and startups. Today, I am speaking with Liz Harrow, who is a partner at um, Shakti Ventures, which is a early stage venture capital firm, both in San Francisco and in New York, having two offices. Uh, Liz, how are you doing? Great, David. Thanks so much for having me. I'm drinking a Diet Coke. It's kind of like the equivalent of smoking a cigarette today. <laughs> it's one of those days. Yeah. Do you drink Diet Coke? I don't. I don't. Yeah. I'm a Are big, you judging I'm me? A big, uh, I'm not judging you. I'm a big club soda person. So my, my soda stream was my best COVID purchase. Yeah. No, the soda stream is good. Um, I feel like it's like a lot of work because then you have to like put the thing in the, in the fridge and like, you have to be, you have to be very tactical with it. It's, it's definitely a lot of work and you have to, you know, constantly order the cartridge on Amazon, but it's worth it. And I think it's good for the environment. So I feel like I'm doing good too. Yeah. I'm, I'm going broke buying Topo Chico, like (laughs) just the cases of it. I'm responsible for the Topo Chico shortage that happened during COVID. That's, that's the good stuff. Yeah, I was feeling rich, like, because everyone was feeling rich during COVID. And I would just like buy cases of it. And then like, <laughs> and then I was just like, Oh, my God, this is getting out of hand. I mean, like, <laughs> I couldn't even I couldn't even use like, like, pull the, the trash out. But anyway, thank you so much for coming on. Um, and I'd love to learn a little bit about the origin name first of Shakti. Yeah, of course. So the word Shakti, it's actually a Sanskrit word, and it means primordial energy or the energy that's there at the beginning at birth. Um, And the reason that it's the name of our fund is because as very early stage investors, we are there from the beginning with founders. Um, And so you could say that we're kind of the Shakti at the beginning of a a founder's journey helping to empower them. Um, So that's, that's the origin of the word. Nice. And you've been a partner there for how long? Been a partner at Shakti for over a year. The fund itself is relatively new. It was started in December 2020 by my partner, Cable Desai. Yeah. And so, and, and prior to that, there was another fund before. You're a raising fund two now, correct? We're raising fund two. That's correct. Uh, fund one is the fund that's been around since December 2020. So, a COVID fund. Um, that was the that was the first one, um, and my business partner Cable was a partner at Interwest for about a decade prior to joining Shakti. Yeah, uh, Cable has a very long, um, uh, incredibly deep history within Silicon Valley. I did some work with him. So, how did you? meet and like because you had a wall street background it looked like prior to becoming a vc so how did that kind of come into fruition you jumping the jumping the that chasm 
Yeah, for sure. So as you mentioned, David, my background is at Wall Street. I spent 10 years at Morgan Stanley. Most recently there, I spent about four years on the venture side in their in-house venture capital group and startup accelerator. And Morgan Stanley has a really unique group that specifically invests in female and multicultural founders called the Multicultural Innovation Lab. And so spent time there, invested in about 60 companies over that time period. Uh, great experience, dipping my toe into early stage venture. Prior to that, I was started my career in equity research. Um, so complete opposite end of the spectrum, looking at large public companies, which is not as fun as, as the early stage side and really getting to know founders. Um, and was introduced to Cable through uh, a colleague and mentor at Morgan Stanley, and it really was a great a great fit. We have complementary backgrounds. Uh, his background is um, the tech side, uh, Silicon Valley operator side. My my background is on Wall Street, so we really shared a passion for working with founders and thinking of founders as, and LPs as our clients. Um, so it was it was actually a really good synergy. I really like that, and you really highlight that a lot in your website, um, because generally speaking, unless your name is Founders Fund, your your you know people's ventures name is so and so ventures, so and so capital. Like you're you're a big stakeholder that people don't talk about is their limited partner base. And first and foremost, you need to you know give a return, right? You know, I would say like, or else this is nothing. This is charity, right? And so, how do you think about? engaging them as customers, right? And making sure that they're always right and that they're always happy with you. And how do you position yourself within the venture landscape? Yeah, well, we definitely don't want to make sure that they think they're always right. That's for, you know, we're not adding any value by doing (laughs) that, but, but you're right. right. And and yeah, to the point of the name, there's a reason where our name, you know, it's not cable or, or Liz capital. We're trying to build a firm for generations and it's not just going to be us. Um, but we really put our founders first and foremost. And I think, you know, there's not a ton out there on us on the internet and that's uh, intentional. We don't like to talk about ourselves and, and we firmly believe that if we're doing a good job and we're doing right by our founders, they will be our mouthpiece. Um, and that so far has worked out and we find our best recommendations for companies and deal flow comes from founders who, you know, when someone, a friend of theirs, colleague is raising money, they say, well, you should have Shakti on your cap table because they've been great to work with. Um, so we make it our number one priority to, to support founders in whatever their challenges at the moment, whether it's help with hiring, help with business development, help with fundraising, um, you name it. We try to be as valuable as we can be being a very small team and being an emerging fund. Yeah. And, you know, I, it's always challenging when a founder says, you know, what, what's the value add creation? Because it's not a Chinese menu. Um, you know, I think first and foremost, having a really great relationship, you know, um, you know, being able to, uh, I guess, have the emotional intelligence to, you know, build trust, you know, is number one. And then number two is all the, the different kind of like items you can help. Yeah, exactly. And I think there's, you know, people commonly think you have to be on a board in order to add real value to companies. But in our experience, we found that's absolutely not true. And there's several companies that we're not on the board of, but founders come to us first um, because they value our opinion. And so 
Um, that's the role that, that we like to play. And then, you know, we know the limitations of, of being a small team, which is why we really try to take the community approach. Um, and we have this amazing network of, of current and former C-suite individuals that we call the Titan Network, um, where people can help dig in. They're both LPs in our fund as well as mentors, and they help our companies um, with their relevant expertise. And these are executives from you know, Fortune 500 companies like Google and Amazon and YouTube, um, Oracle, Ralph Lauren, you name it. And so we really have diverse expertise to be able to support our founders. Um, and it's amazing to see how much our titans really give their time and love to mentor the next generation. And so I think, you know, if you've spoken to any of our founders, they, they would tell you that the Titan Network is one of the greatest value adds that we have. I love that you put a title and a wrapper around that. I mean, is there, when you think about, um, you know, interject or like, you know, exposing a limited partner to a founder, is there a process for that? Is there like an onboarding or is it just kind of, you make the introduction, you let the magic happen? Yeah, it's a little bit of both, David. And I think, you know, there has to be a level of curation that comes with the process because, you know, then it's not necessarily fair to either party. Um, so we obviously, when we think that there could be a mutual fit, we kind of make sure to broker the connection. And then if the founder and the Titan hit it off and continue the relationship, that's amazing. Um, there's no obligation that a Titan has to do that. There's no amount of time that they need to spend. In our experience, the relationships have been curated extremely well. Um, and the founder, as well as the Titan, find a lot of value in the relationship. Got it. And then so when you're out and like you're kind of recruiting for Titan Network, what if so-and-so is, you know, ex-real estate guy, right? And you might not have operational experience. Do they, is there like an expectation that they're going to be helping companies? Because I feel like everyone wants to feel valued, right? And, you know, like, how do you kind of, you know, manage expectations about, you know, involvement with, with the portfolio? Yeah. Uh, there's no expectation that a Titan, you know, has to spend a certain amount of time. It's really if there's overlap in terms of their area of expertise. And, you know, whether you're, regardless of the industry, if you're a Titan of industry, you're the top, 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 there's absolutely skills that you can transfer to an up and coming founder. And, you know, there's, sure. There's incredible leadership skills. It doesn't matter what, what your background is. Um, and the Titan model itself was modeled after Bill Campbell, who was an incredible coach. He was you know, a college football coach turned uh, coach of, of legendary CEOs uh, at the top companies, including Google. And this is someone who didn't necessarily have a background in all of the industries in which he was coaching uh, certain CEOs, but there are certain managerial skills that, that are transferable across industries. Um, and so I think that that is the value that our, our Titan network brings. Um, it's really, it's really to be that Olympic coach. I mean, from our perspective, we think about our founders are trying to win the gold medal in whatever their industry is, whatever they're building. And if you're going for the gold medal, you're not going to, you know, your local corner gym, you're going to get an Olympic coach. And so that's what we're doing for our founders. Our Titans are the equivalent of those Olympic coaches um, for their journeys. I love that. I, you know, you're referencing the Trillion Dollar Coach, which is a phenomenal book. Um, you know, what I, what I like most about the story of Bill Campbell was, like, he, as you said, he was, you know, a 
like a collegiate, you know, um, coach and like for a team that wasn't even that good. And I don't think they ended up being that good anyway, but like he had what he had, right. But he was able to gain so much notoriety and, and, um, influence just by the soft skills, right. That he had with people. And then he become like CEO of like, um, Quicken or something or into it, like for a little bit, like it was unbelievable. He had had leadership positions at several large companies. And to your point, that, that wasn't necessarily his his background being being a football coach. Um, but he had such an incredible ability to build teams, um, which is very hard to hard to replicate. And I think we've tried to find similar folks um, in our network to to kind of play that role. And we've recently one of our amazing titans is a man named Dean Gilbert who's been an executive uh, in the media space for several decades. Um, and he's played that role for several other CEOs to be their CEO coach, help them build teams, help them build boards. Um, and, and, and so we try to replicate that across for our companies. What, is, what do you think that it takes to be a trillion-dollar coach? You know, like, and to have those, those skills that's, I mean, anybody can give advice to a founder. Like, they get... They get it from everybody, right? But how do you, how do you, what makes um, a trillion dollar coach different from every other person that thinks that they know something that wants to impart knowledge? Yeah, and, and I don't want to, you know, put down because there's so many amazing coaches out there, but it's really, really hard to be the top, top trillion dollar coach. And I think it's just having been in that seat before. There's only a finite number of people who have been CEOs of fortune 500 companies. Um, so I think it's people who have, you have to have been in that seat and have the leadership experience, the board experience, the operational experience to truly advise a much, you know, a different generation of founder on what it takes. Um, and this is something that Dean talked about in our conversation with him, which is that in thinking about building your board, it's not necessarily, you know, the venture person who should be the number one, it's someone who actually has been there, done that in terms of having the operational, operational experience. So I think first and foremost, it really helps to be, you know, have had that experience, whether it's, you've been the head leader of a fortune 500 company, or you've been the chief leader of uh, a sports team. There are certain skills that come from, you know, being a leader that are transferable across, across industries. And so I think if you look at our trillion dollar coaches, all of them have that in common. Um, and I think also there needs to be a great, um, need and interest in helping out, um, another founder. And so I think if you look at our Titans, they've all been successful in their own right, but they have this desire to give back. Um, and so I think for them, they're all on boards and they're helping and they're busy, but for them, what it, what's exciting is to be able to give back and make a change at the very early stage of someone's career. So agreed. I, I feel like board meetings, um, founders, sometimes they come to them and they want to like talk about like big product decisions and, or, you know, go to market decisions and, you know, some of the boards I belong to, you know, we're just a bunch of financiers on the board. I'm like, you shouldn't be having these, these conversations or making these decisions with us. Right. Um, happy to introduce you to X amount and I can sit in, but, um, the, the stakes are too high. 
for guys like me to weigh input on product decision, right? Um, so tell me a little bit about the overall investment thesis of Shakti, despite just being early in the journey. Like, what, what, are, you, what are you guys interested in? and How did you come to that? Yeah, so our general thesis is that we're looking for companies that are reimagining the world's largest habits with new tech infrastructure. And so what that means is, first and foremost, we're looking at the largest markets out there. And any very large market out there is being reimagined every decade or so. Um, so when you think about, for example, some of the markets that we're very interested in are mobility. So getting from point A to point B, this is something that has been done forever, but the means in which people are commuting or um, driving are constantly changing. And so mobility is one of the themes that's super interesting to us. Um, another one is commerce. People have been shopping forever um, and that's never going to change, but the means in which people are shopping from in-person to online, the infrastructure behind it um, is constantly changing. So that's a, that's a habit that's being reimagined all the time. Um, in terms of video and media, how people are communicating, um, us right now, whether it's a podcast or a video, is uh, the reimagination of a, of a longstanding habit. And so when we think about the world, we think about, you know, where are people spending most of their time and what are the companies out there that are lowering different frictions um, within those industries in order to reimagine them. So that's that's how we think about the world. And all of the companies in our portfolio um, play into that. And they're all reimagining um, habits in certain, certain forms. And so when I say, you know, you're looking at these big markets, you're in the biggest tech hubs. I mean, New York is blowing up right now as far as deal count, especially in the early stage. San Francisco, very competitive. How, when I say company picking, you know, what does that mean to you? Yeah, so our general, when we think about company picking, I think first and foremost, uh, we think about the market size. Um, we're looking for companies that have the potential to IPO. And so you have to fish in the largest markets there. Um, and so that's first and foremost what we look at. And then we think about the founder. As I mentioned, we have amazing deal flow from our own community, whether it's our professional, personal networks, our founders, uh, our LPs, etc. cetera. Uh, we're looking for a founder who's going to be the next Melanie Perkins of Canva or Julie Wainwright of The Real Real, people who really have what it takes. Um, and that comes from building relationships over time. And then one of the things that we look at after that is why now? There could be, you know, incredible technologies that are just frankly ahead of their time. Um, you know, there were attempts to create cell phones a long, long time before they actually existed. But because we didn't have the wide area network, you couldn't have those companies exist. And then once we had that, you saw, you know, the iPhone, Android, whatever, uh, become, become very popular. And so there has to be a component of why now? And then the last component is, can this company um, go the distance, 10x or more, go public? Um, because we are looking for those, those companies. And it's challenging at the early stage. Um, but when we think about you know, the two biggest risks that we're taking as early stage investors, number one is the market risk. And number two is the founder risk. I think 
you know, if we're investing in markets that we know and we understand, that's mitigated a little bit, but the founder risk is really challenging. And so that's where the quality of the network, the quality of the pipeline and the founders is extremely important. Mm-hmm. And how do you judge a good founder? It's a million dollar question, David. I mean, we're not, we're not always right. I think that's why, you know, venture is a really hard business. Um, I think it comes from getting to know people over a long period of time. Um, several of the founders in our portfolio, you'll, you'll see are our former colleagues, people that we've really built relationships with. Not all of them, of course. Um, but we spend a lot of time with founders understanding, um, their experience, you know, why them, why they're the right people for the opportunity. Um, but you know, as you know, you're not always right. Um, yeah. but we, we try. That's for sure. I feel like good founders is kind of a lagging indicator because good founders generally have like had success, right? Or, or you know, or before you're just kind of guessing that they're good founders because, you know, good meaning that you've actually like, you know, surpassed something or else it's just kind of an opinion, right? Or, or like a bias that you have because they have qualities that you like. But there's a gazillion ways to make money in this business. Yeah, I, I don't think there's, I don't think there's any one quality or indicator of what makes a good founder. And I think what's really interesting about our portfolio, David, is that there's founders from all walks of life. There's founders who it's their second, third company. Um, There's founders who are fresh out of college. It's their first company. There's founders who are from all over the world, all different you know, educational backgrounds. So there's not really, you know, one main thing to point to. Um, I think one thing that we've found in terms of consistency across founders is that you, you have to be a really good storyteller. Um, you know, especially in this environment when it's more and more challenging to get capital, you have to be, you have to be the number one storyteller for your company, whether that's, to get capital in the door, to hire the initial team, um, to c- convince people to buy your product or service. You can't, you know, we rarely see incredible founders who aren't also really good storytellers. What, what, what's the makings of a good story or a good storyteller? Yeah, I think um, two things come to mind if, that I think every element of a strong story should have. Um, I think there needs to be an element of why you as a founder and why now? So Mm -hmm. why are you the right person to go after this opportunity? What makes you or your team uniquely capable of going after this problem that you're presenting? Um, Because that's really important. You're getting people, especially at an early stage, they're, they're investing in you. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think why now goes back to what I mentioned earlier of, there needs to be a reason why now is the time to get on board with this technology. Um, why, you know, why is the market ready for it? Why is it ripe for disruption? Um, why is this going to succeed in, in building something that other people have not been able to do before? So there needs to be a sense of what is the urgency? Um, because I think if you don't have that, then people are likely to kind of sit back and say, well, I can wait, you know, wait for the next round or, um, you know, whatever the excuse is. Um, but why you and why now are extremely important. I love that because so, I mean, so if we're looking at like good software, good software solves problems and you have to articulate a story on 
you know, if this problem was that big, why hasn't it been previously solved? And usually you need to, you know, connect that with a market dynamic or a technology improvement, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, and I think that you have to really answer that question effectively. You know, there's, there's a lot of markets out there where people have been trying to do it to something, but it yeah. hasn't necessarily been working out. And so you need to be able to answer the question of why is your technology going to lower the friction and make it easier for people to do something that they haven't been able to do before. Um, where's I think, the edge, right? Yeah. Where's the edge? Where's the distribution channel? There's got to be some kind of momentum behind it. Exactly. Yes. Um, and I think if you look at a company like the real real people were, people have been consigning for since the beginning of time. Um, but until the real real came in and they really lowered the friction in terms of what it takes to be able to buy and sell your stuff, um, online, it was, it was really challenging. And so that's a company that had a clear, um, had a clear thesis for how it was going to do that. Well, correct. And it, it, you know, it's probably a lot deeper than that because early stage investors were like, well, eBay, why don't people just do this on eBay? Right. Or like, why can't eBay do this? And there had to been like something deeper, right. <laughs> like within the market. I don't know the story of that story, but yeah. you know, I'm sure there, <laughs> there was some, you know, a lot of like different intricacies that the founder had to go through or a distribution oh, channel that she, she had. So yeah, yeah. Give me an example of like a great story story that catapulted your one of your early stage companies into a success today and you know where the story like really resonated and actually came true yeah so i think one that comes to mind is is a company in our portfolio called gatic and i mentioned it because i mentioned david that one of the areas of focus for us is mobility and i think gatic plays into so many themes that are being reimagined. Um, and so I think it's a good one to highlight. And so Gatic is a, a company that's creating autonomous vehicles for middle mile delivery, and they're creating the software for them. So effectively what that means is they are there. You have the long distance delivery and you have the last mile, but there's that middle mile where it's basically, um, constant deliveries from warehouses that are outside of cities to warehouses that are closer to the consumer. And you mentioned you're a big Topo Chico fan. So there's, you're creating all of this demand for products that you're going to constantly need to go pick up at whatever the local store is. Well, those products need to be constantly replenished. And so that's one massive habit in terms of people constantly, they're shopping online, they're going to get their groceries online. That's that's driven a, a reason to have this company. And so Gatic's biggest customers are companies like Walmart, Loblaws, Sam Club. Um, and they're effectively running these rep repeating routes through the night, completely autonomous vehicles to help replenish warehouses. Um, and it's really incredible to see, to see how it works and the way that it solves for so many problems in the industry right now. Um, whether it's the need for greater replenishment, the driver shortage, et cetera. Um, and so that's a company that's, that's reimagining how we're getting goods from point A to point B, completely driven by a change in the way that our society operates and that way that we consume. Mm -hmm. Um, T tell me, like, in in the horizontal, I mean, because you're dealing with big markets, so that's generally horizontal-type applications or, 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 you know, waves. Um, how do you think about luck? 
And like, what is luck in venture? Is there such thing? Or is it, I mean, there's, there's so, there's so many things within the, um, the scope of, of, you know, what we think we're good at versus what, what's luck. I've been reading a great book called, um, thinking in bets by Annie Duke. And she talks about, you know, we have these biases, right. That get reinforced that we think are skill, but could be luck or, you know, we change our, 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 our strategy because, you know, um, our skill selects a company that lost because of luck, not because of skill. So how do you think about luck versus skill within early stage venture? Yeah. I mean, I think it would be hard to say that luck doesn't play a role in anything, whether it's, um, you know, your own life trajectory of jobs or, or Mm -hmm. venture investing. Um, of course you have to have an incredibly diligent investment process. Um, and there, there is a role that luck plays, um, somewhere along the way, whether it's a company talking to the right person and, and getting a new contract or a business development opportunity or, um, you know, luck and someone taking a chance and giving them the funding that they need or a hiring opportunity. So there's, there's probably a right place, right time component to everything, but you have to have a diligent investment process in order to have repeated success. I think luck will get you something, you know, every now and then hopefully everyone runs into a little bit of luck, but in order to create a venture franchise that, um, that endures throughout time, you have to have more than that. You have to have, um, you have to have a true investment process and discipline that goes with it. That's awesome. Uh, Liz, what, um, as we kind of wrap up today, what is your favorite book or what, what book do you give out the most? I should that, say. Yeah, that's, that's a hard question. Favorite book. Um, because of mm-hmm. course there's, there's business books and there's, life books. My favorite book that's not a business book is Born a Crime, which is Trevor Noah's um, story of his life, which is incredible. Um, I think Trillion Dollar Coach, the story of Bill Campbell. Um, It's an incredible book, book, regardless of what industry you're in. Um, There's so much that you can learn from it. There's so many stories of the people that Bill Campbell had coached. There's firsthand accounts. Um, you know, it's written by Eric Schmidt, Jonathan Rosenberg from, you know, they have their own experience working with Bill, but they also speak to so many other, um, executives and household names who talk about the impact that Bill had on them. Um, and so I would recommend that book for, um, really anyone, regardless of what your, your industry is, you can learn from it. Awesome. Liz, thank you so much for coming on. Um, Guys, thank you for listening. If you like what you heard, please subscribe, tell a friend, leave a review. We drop an episode every Tuesday, and we're found on all your major platforms, YouTube, Spotify, and Apple. And we will see you next week. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks, David. Thank you for tuning in to the Capital Stack Podcast. Make sure to share this with someone you know that can benefit from this content. Remember to support this show by rating, reviewing, and subscribing. David Paul is the founder and general partner at DWP Capital. All opinions expressed by David and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of DWP Capital. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for decisions. David and guests may maintain positions in the securities discussed on this podcast.